0: Thanks for tuning in to this special telemedicine edition of the Data Point podcast. This episode is one of several leading up to the annual meeting of the American Telemedicine Association in New Orleans, Louisiana on April 14th through 16th. Check out the conference. I think you're going to want to be there. And if you don't believe me, these next several episodes are going to try and prove it to you. Almost 15 years ago, a social innovation team at an organization called Hope Lab launched a video game called Remission. It was like most video games in that it was targeted at adolescents, but it was unlike most video games in that it was targeted specifically at adolescents who were recovering from cancer. What's really interesting is that it completely changed the game in terms of the way that we interact with kids around their health. That game proved time after time to promote consistent treatment adherence, a faster increase in their rate of cancer knowledge, and an increase in their self-efficacy and agency as empowered patients. Fifteen years later, Hope Lab is still going strong. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Data Point, the podcast that's all about how data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare. We're focused in this special edition on telemedicine, leading up to the American Telemedicine Association's annual meeting in New Orleans, April 14 through 16. Our guest today is going to be one of the plenary speakers at that conference. Her name is Margaret Laws, and she's the CEO of Hope Lab. Margaret has a long history of... Developing Innovative Ways to Deliver Healthcare to Underserved Populations, and you're going to love learning about some of the work that she's doing today. Margaret, thanks so much for being with us on DataPoint today.
1: Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: As am I. Um, as, uh, As you know, I've been a fan of Hope Lab for many years, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but Before we dive into the work that you're doing today, I'd love to give our listeners a little bit of perspective on how you came to be the CEO of Hope Lab. Can you sketch in a little background for us so we have that context?
1: Sure, happy to. Um, So I've been at Hope Lab now for about three and a half years. And prior to that, I spent almost two decades at the California Healthcare Foundation in a range of different positions. So I started out at the, the very beginning of the foundation in the late 90s. And I uh, was the director of health policy. Um, About mid, uh, about 2006, I started a program there called Innovations for the Underserved. That program was focused on bringing innovations in healthcare services and technology, some areas where I had prior experience, to uh, underserved populations in healthcare. So in that Innovations for the Underserved program, we worked with community health centers, with hospitals, uh, with with healthcare organizations all around California, really looking at how digital tools could improve access to care and reduce cost of care. Um, About 2010, also at California Healthcare Foundation, I started the CHCF Health Innovation Fund, which is a social venture fund, a social innovation fund uh, designed to invest in companies uh, to bring them into the healthcare safety net. Mm
0: -hmm. So in
1: the CHCF Health Innovation Fund, we did, and and the fund continues, to invest in digital health companies, uh, you know, some of which are telehealth companies, with the with the specific purpose of bringing those innovations into the healthcare safety net in California and and around the country. Um, so there, uh, we made we've made uh, in that fund. I think, now about 15 investments. Um, My colleague, Melissa Buckley, took over on my departure. Mm -hmm. Um, And many of those investments have exposed us to uh, remote care and digital care in a number of ways. But throughout that time working in uh, Innovations for the Underserved, I personally spent a lot of time working on telehealth. So I probably started my work in telehealth in the early 2000s. A lot of the work at that time was focused on trying to improve access to care for mm-hmm. people in remote and rural areas in the state of California and access to specialty care throughout the state where underserved populations have, uh, as I think you know, most people know, historically had a difficult time um, getting access to care.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting because you're, we're, we obviously met through the context of telemedicine or telehealth. We're both going to be speaking at the upcoming uh, American Telemedicine Association annual meeting in New Orleans. But what's really interesting is that the work that you're doing today at Hope Lab doesn't sound very much like traditional telemedicine. Um, can you help us understand a little bit about how you feel that term has evolved and where it's headed?
1: Uh, really an, an interesting topic. And so, so, you know, when we started working in telehealth and telemedicine, the application of at least a sort of consumer-facing digital technology was was really new. Um, when we think about, you know, fast forward 15 years uh, to today, and especially when we talk about young people, and Hope Lab um, has a focus on uh, working with teens and young adults, uh, these are people who have grown up with technology really as a completely interwoven part of their lives. And so when we think about what telehealth means and what bringing the sort of tele to the context of a healthcare interaction means or a health interaction today, I, I do think we, we've expanded and we think very differently about it. So when I think about the way young people receive healthcare or, or interact around health issues, the likelihood that they might do something interactive is very, very high. If they think about, particularly about the way they want to interact or receive care, the likelihood of a young people wanting or expecting that to be like the other things in their lives where they're mediated by by some sort of a digital um, tool or app is very high. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about young people and the potential for sort of, quote, telehealth, I do tend to think more broadly about the application of digital tools to the kinds of interactions that, that we need to have with young people or that young people need and want to have around their health.
0: You know, it's interesting, you know, just to, to paint the picture, obviously health care as we know it has been provided in very much the same way for a long time, which says that, you know, when you are in need of health care, you get in your car and you drive to a facility uh, where that care is provided. And I know initially that... A lot of the focus around telemedicine was well. Let's at least take the car out of the picture and you know give people the ability to do a, a, a more virtual interaction with a healthcare professional. But what you're talking about goes well beyond just the virtual visit, doesn't it?
1: It does, and I think that's actually a, a great way to think about it. Is that when we first started talking about telehealth, at least in my in my career in healthcare, it was really about video visits or virtual visits. So it was about two people on either side of a often very slow and very expensive and, and, you know, prone to, um, freezing, you know, connection. Right. And now we think really about a whole, you know, texting a whole range of different technologies that have been used to actually support people, um, or deliver care, depending on how you define it. And so when we, we, Think very, very broadly about it when we think about it um, as applied to young people, and even just you know in my personal career in healthcare, we have been um, shying away from talking about this is technology in healthcare or this mm. is telehealth because technology as a way of interacting with the world has become such a such a ubiquitous uh, force, and has, we've really begun to experience life mediated through technology in a very different way. And so, you know, when I think about the word telehealth and I think about this conversation that we're going to be having at the American Telehealth Association, I'm hoping that it becomes kind of a much broader, richer uh, discussion about the way we use digital tools and the much cheaper, more ubiquitous, more accessible um, ways of interacting um, as we think about how we can improve healthcare, how we can be more Focus on what consumers or people really need out of the healthcare mm. system.
0: You know, but when we talk about that, you've you referenced uh, a survey that you'd done through Hope Lab to better understand how teens think about health and healthcare, and I, I guess to some extent the world around them. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that survey and what some are some of the things are that you learned that would differentiate the teens' experience from, say, yours or mine?
1: Sure. You know, we conducted the survey. Uh, and released it almost a year ago, about a year ago. Um, it was a national survey of 14 to 22 year olds. And so we were really trying to look at this teen young adult audience that is Hopelab's primary focus. Um, and we interviewed uh, uh, young people across the country, rural and urban, um, across that age group, balanced for race, ethnicity. Um, and we got really interesting and, and not surprising results, but I think results that can really help us think about. Um, how we more effectively uh, deliver care and access to young people. So to give you a couple of examples, in that national survey, 87% had gone online for health information. 64% had used mobile apps related to health. Um, 61% had read or watched someone else's health story online. This is a big theme with young people. I think this notion of peer support and using these tools to connect with peers and and learn from others was a a big theme throughout the survey. Interesting. Um, Almost 40% had looked for people with similar issues or concerns online, and, and, you know, this was the last year, about 20% of the young people we surveyed had actually connected with health providers online. So one of the really interesting things we were trying to do, because a, a big focus for Hope Lab is mental and emotional health and well-being of young people, is we looked at the extent to which young people with moderate to severe depressive symptoms use online resources. Hmm. And we found that those numbers were really really significant. 90% of those young people had gone online for mental health information. Um, More than 75% had used mobile apps related to health. More than 75% had read or watched someone else's health story looked for people with similar concerns, more than 50 percent, and 32 percent of those young people had connected to health providers online. So I think one of the themes that is emerging and we can talk some more about is the extent to which uh, mental and emotional health issues and support needs are being increasingly met uh, through online mediation or through online resources. Um, Certainly something I saw a big demand for and continue to see a big demand for at working in telehealth over the past 15 years, that the um, ability for people who are having mental and emotional issues or support needs to be able to access resources online is, is a you know, huge need. And it's Absolutely. a need that we only see growing.
0: Well, that is a a fascinating subject, and I think we are going to pick that up when we return from our break. We're going to be right back with Margaret Laws, the CEO of Hope Lab, so stick around. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touch point. From the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com To learn how we can help you deliver relevant engaging content through ever-changing touch points that matter all right we're back you're listening to data point i'm your host greg matthews and we're here today with margaret laws the ceo of hope lab margaret you were we were just talking before the break about the teen technology survey uh, that you published the results of last year i'm really curious having gained some of those insights Uh, about how teens are interacting with health and where technology fits into that. How has that impacted some of the work that you're doing today at Hope Lab?
1: Um, Yeah, but that's a a great lead-in for a lot of discussion about the work we've been doing in mental and emotional well-being. I also want to highlight a couple of the other projects and programs we've been working on. So um, Hope Lab's genesis, Hope Lab's first project, was in building a game for young people with cancer. Um, The goal of it was to actually improve adherence and compliance to, uh, to their therapies, to their drug regimen, but also to try to help boost agency and, and kind of self-efficacy of young people um, as a way to help get them to have uh, health outcomes that were as positive as possible. So Hope Lab has a history working with young people with cancer. Um, and we, ha- we do have one project, big project going on now that focuses on uh, that population, so we have one project that is focused on helping young people, uh, teens and young adults, in the two years of survivorship, immediately post-cancer treatment. This is a year of really well-documented poor outcomes for young people, lots of distress, anxiety, depression. And we set out in, in the method that Hope Lab uses, working very closely with young people as co-designers and leveraging research um, in psychology and kind of the neuroscience of, of uh, young people's uh, brains to try to work w- with young people on some sort of an intervention that could help alleviate this distress, this mm-hmm. anxiety and depression. And in that project, uh, as in all of Hope Lab's projects, we really think about how technology can be an enabler of the solution and how using technology as a way to get young people engaged um, you know, it can be brought to bear. So in that project, we work with young people to build what is uh, a chatbot, actually a chatbot called Vivabot. And it's a chatbot that delivers um, to help young people boost resilience, boost self-efficacy as they are in this period of, um, of difficulty post-cancer treatment. And interestingly there, there is not a person on the other end of the, the line. So if you think about it from a traditional telehealth perspective, what we heard from young people was not, I want... You know, I want or need to talk to a therapist. Now, many mm-hmm. of them do, and, and hopefully, many of them uh, get that treatment. But, but many don't. And what we heard from a lot of young people was that they want something that is like a person, but isn't a person. That that for young people and that for young person in that situation, um, the, their the react the interactions and the reactions that they have with their loved ones and with the people who are trying to support and help them mm-hmm. can be challenging. They feel like. Uh, their, their family's worried about them. They feel like they're unloading. They're, they're, nobody wants to bear the burden. They don't feel like they, they feel like people will worry about them if they if they talk about feeling low. And so the idea of being able to interact with a bot that can be delivering support in a non-judgmental way has been a really important insight and a really important feature that we have built into this intervention, Vivabot. So, you know, when we talk about telehealth, is is Vivabot, is a chatbot that interacts with you um, to help provide support um, and help you improve your health outcomes, telehealth, maybe not in the way that we've talked about it historically, but I do think that in this situation, the the ability to apply technology and to deliver a evidence-based intervention through the technology it is something that is is a really interesting place where young people can be sort of the trailblazers or the, the standard bearers into new ways of receiving care. And think about, you know, the, the peer support or, or non-professional support mm-hmm. um, being something that helps improve access.
0: And honestly, I think that that's a great example of how co-designing with your target audience can highlight insights that you might not necessarily have found intuitively, you know, one of which is the fact that having a non-human partner in this process, in some ways for the teens, is actually better than having a human partner, Um, because they don't have to worry about the emotional burden on that partner, whether it's a family member or a a clinician, and they don't have to worry about posing or, uh, you know, making them, making somebody feel that they're doing better than they really are. Um, What a fascinating insight.
1: Yeah, no, well, very well put. And I think that the important point that I want to make now, because it applies across all the work that we do, is none of this is to replace humans, right? Mm. At, at Hope Lab, one of the things that is really, really important to us is the power of human connection and of human touch. And a lot of what um, we try to build into and think about and, and learn from young people about is. Um, is how important human connection is. And so when I talk about technology as an enabler, I do think it is an enabler to to human connection in many cases. Um, in this case, to your point, this is one where uh, it's interesting to think about how we can use technology for this role um, in a way that, that for these young people at this particular moment in time is a good alternative to what would otherwise be a human interaction.
0: Absolutely, um, and it's such... A- it's such a great thread going back. You know, you you talked about the fact that um, remission, you know, was designed to enhance adherence to treatment, but also to build agency and self efficacy of uh, kids with cancer. And when you when you think about that game, uh, it was clearly never designed to be a replacement for the oncologist or the interactions with the care team. Uh, you know, at the institution where they're seeking care, but There's no question that that was a really, really creative use of technology to actually enhance uh, the results that were achieved. Um, Mm -hmm. And it sounds as though the Vivibot program falls into that same mold. It's not a replacement of uh, an interaction with a human or a replacement of uh, a traditional care setting, but it's an augmentation that provides incremental value that wouldn't have been possible otherwise.
1: So we're, one of the other projects we're working on uh, with, is with Nurse Family Partnership, a really terrific organization, a national uh, nonprofit that works with first-time, high-risk young moms, many of whom are teenagers, um, a lot of others who are not teenagers are young adults. And again, these are all young women who have grown up as digital natives and, and are very actively using technology in other aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. And Nurse Family Partnerships program, which is really a very a program that's deeply based on human connection. It pairs a nurse with this young mom. The nurse visits with her in her home from uh, before 28 weeks of pregnancy till the baby's two and really works with her on a whole range of health and life skills for her and the baby. And what was interesting about this program is that it's about forty 40 plus years old, has you know really terrific efficacy studies, randomized controlled trials, um, many, many uh, accolades uh, throughout the years. But what they were hoping to do, and what we were hoping to to do with them, is to make the program more relevant to, more re- resonant with, this young digital native mom, and also to use technology to think about how to make it more scalable and more, um, more uh, flexible for the mom and the nurse. And so when you think about the ability to have touch or to have connection, once the mom and the nurse are connected with the program materials and to each other, just something simple like the nurse being able to send shout outs to the mom, the nurse being able to have connections with the mom and send her Something to read or an activity to do in between visits. Mm. Again, doesn't replace, does not replace the mom and the nurse meeting with one another, but it really leverages the technology to have a deeper and more frequent connection. And you know, if you think about it, in the terminology we use in healthcare, to really improve that young mom's access to support and care uh, in the system.
0: Now, is that something that you would say the? You know, the participants, the young mothers in the program find surprising, or is that something that they just consider a normal part of the way that you interact with the people in your life?
1: Yeah. Well, one of the really fun things about this project and this work that Hope Lab has done is that we have a team of designers, human centered design experts, and we spent a lot of time out in the field, in people's homes, in the homes of the moms, out with the nurses understanding how the nurses relate to technology. They're mm. a little bit older than the moms, so some of them love it and use it in every aspect of their life, and others were not so excited about it. Um, and then for the moms, you know, it really was just normal. These are, these are moms, and they're, they're low-income young moms, but they are all on smartphones, mm-hmm. and they're dealing with other aspects of their life um, using their phone. And so for them, yeah, it was a very normal um, it was a very normal way of interacting and it was something that they had, you know, were expecting. If you're going to, if you want me to read an article or if you have something for me to do, could you send it to me? And <laughs> right. now they can. I know, I know that sounds crazy, but it really, it is, you know, you remember young people, many young people have been, you know, FaceTiming since they were very, very young. And so the yeah. idea of picking up a phone and having a conversation with someone, where you're where you are actually viewing one another um, isn't as scary or complicated a thing as it is for you know for many older people still today. so and it's it's great so to I see
0: think- that that intermingling of a technology solution with uh, a program that, as you said, for more than forty years has been based on an in-person interaction. um any any thoughts as to you know, what what uh, kind of outcomes they're seeing, or is it too soon to tell? Uh, in terms of the measurement of the success of the program? Well,
1: that program is currently in a, a five-site randomized controlled trial. So we've mm. got sites in Minnesota, Alabama, the Bronx, upstate New York, and Contra Costa County in California. And that trial will be finished at the end of March. So we'll have, uh, we'll have some information about that by the time we get to the uh, – probably not by the time we get to the conference, but not too long after. But I will say what has been really interesting about it is that the relevance of being able to interact um, using digital um, tools is something that really is important to the organization and to the you know, really to the, this whole um, sector going forward. Uh, to be able to your earlier point, use all the tools you have available to be able to reach your patients, people, customers you're
0: working with. Love it. I know in we only have a, a couple of minutes left in the in the podcast, but. I wanted to ask you about one final program that we had discussed uh, before we uh, before we got our interview going, and it relates to mental health programming specifically targeted at college students. Um, is there a, a quick overview that you could give us there? Because I know it's one that will probably be of great interest to a lot of our listeners.
1: Yeah, it has been the area of uh, teen mental and emotional health and well-being really has almost become an umbrella over everything we work with, as we kind of have looked at where we think the work of Hope Lab can have the most impact on young people, and frankly, where trends in the health and well-being of young people are not great, mental and emotional well-being is a really important one. And so we uh, are going to be doing a range of projects in that area, but the first one focuses on uh, college students. And what we were looking at there was the problem of increasing loneliness, anxiety, depression, and even suicide among college students, and thinking about how we could bring the tools of Hope Lab to bear to try to to work on that problem. And so one of the areas that we have dug into as one of our first projects is looking at um, loneliness in college students really um, significant statistics, uh, which are broadly in the news, about uh, the number of college students who say they are lonely or disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so what we've been working on is a project with a Denver-based company called Grit Digital Health that has a platform called You at College that delivers um, virtual services um, and kind of connects young people in colleges to the resources on their campus. Um, We've been working with them on... A digital tool that uh, kind of connects the the digital and the in person and helps young people learn to take social risks and make social connections. So, really, looking at how do we use the tools that young people are really attached to their their phones, um, their social media sites, their mm-hmm. um, their online world, to get them to actually interact in the in the uh, in the real world. Um, In a more effective way and to try to mitigate some of this loneliness and feeling of isolation by helping them use the natural teenage tendency towards taking risks to actually take positive social risks rather than just uh, some of the negative risks that we think about with young people. Uh And so that's something that we'll be getting out into pilot testing on campuses this fall but to your earlier point, it opens up, I think, a really interesting door to where I think telehealth for young people you know, in the immediate future can have some of its biggest impact. And that is um, in every form, everything from a virtual visit to um, peer support to even kind of texting and, and positive psychology and, and cognitive behavioral therapy apps to really help support Um, young people in what we're really seeing as a significant time of challenge around young people uh, at college age and high school age feeling like they don't have the emotional, mental health and kind of emotional support that they need. So I think a booming area for many people who are working in telehealth um, and one where I think we can really help uh, young people in this country if we apply these tools uh, as effectively as we can.
0: I am really excited to hear that. And I can tell you as the the parent of two teenagers, uh, <laughs> my anecdotal experience tells me that you are dead on in terms of the, the potential value that can be created there. Um, Margaret, I'm so grateful to you for spending this time with us. Uh, I am really looking forward to seeing the plenary session that you're going to be leading Uh, at the American Telemedicine Association, and for our listeners, uh, if you are interested in finding more about uh, Margaret and her work, um, where can they go to learn more about Hope Lab?
1: Yeah, please visit our site, we're hopelab.org, and there's lots uh, more information about the projects that I've talked about and some of the other work they do, including the uh, research that we support. Um, around uh, the, the kind of psychology and uh, health uh, potential for uh, bringing digital solutions uh, into bear with young people.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'll also encourage our listeners to connect with Margaret on Twitter. I know that you are Margaret Laws uh, on Twitter. I have uh, followed you myself. And um, thanks, thanks so much for being here.
1: Terrific, and thanks. And, and Hope Lab also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. So please uh, reach out and connect if you're interested in learning more about our work. And Greg, thanks so much. It's been a terrific conversation, and I look forward to continuing it at the ATA session.
0: Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Datapoint Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at chimoose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time.